people were starting to talk. The man had been seen with some pretty sketchy people. You know, the kind that ruins your reputation. And it wasn't just once or twice. It it was happening more and more. He was actually making a habit of hanging out with the wrong crowd. And to be honest, a, a lot of people didn't understand They were wondering, well, if he says he's this good guy, then why is he always seen with such terrible people? Rumors started to fly. People started saying things like, well, he he can't be as good as he says he is, right? You know, maybe he, he just likes to be close to the edge, you know, getting close to trouble. I bet he even joins in every now and again. I mean, let's be real. He can't be that squeaky clean, right? People said things like, let me tell you, if that was my kid, if he was my boy, mm-mm, I wouldn't let him hang around those kinds of people. You know what they say? Bad company corrupts good character. I've seen it a thousand times. If he really understood how this would damage his reputation, he wouldn't be spending so much time with them, eating, talking, constantly hanging out. He's got to make better choices. And of course, the religious leaders didn't like it at all. The leaders of the church, they thought he was a problem. They would gather together and say things like, I think we all know he isn't who he says he is. I mean, just look at him. He's breaking all the rules. There's no way somebody who claims to represent God would hang out with that many people who are so far from God. He acts like the rules don't even exist. Welcome to the scene of Luke 15. Welcome to the conversations that were surrounding Jesus Christ and his ministry. Welcome to the perceptions and the opposition that the Savior of the world faced while he walked this earth. Today, we're finishing up our parable series, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. And if you're new to Scotts Hill, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching us online, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Josh Hansen, and I'm the family pastor here, and it's such a joy to be wrapping up this series, to be sharing God's word with you this morning. What I want you to know today is that you are found and forgiven in Jesus Christ. I want you to go home taking this away. If you, if you fall asleep, if you miss everything else, hear this, take it home, take it to the bank, remember it, write it down, tattoo it somewhere. You are found and forgiven in Jesus Christ. And I believe that God wants to speak to every person who hears this today and that I even believe his Holy Spirit is working even now in your life to draw you closer to him. So go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 15 if you've got your Bibles or in your Bible app, go to YouVersion and and pull up Luke 15. But before we read this together, will you join me in praying that God would speak to us this morning? Let's pray. God, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for the transformative power that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you rescue us and that you find us where we are. 
and you forgive us. God, I pray that today your word would speak through me. I pray that you would get the glory and I pray that we would never be the same. I pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So we're gonna be looking at Luke 15, the the parable of the lost sheep. So let's read together starting in verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, his, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I'm sure you noticed the buildup to this parable, the first couple of verses here. See, at this point in Jesus' ministry, a bunch of messed up, outcast, immoral people. You know the type. They were coming to hear Jesus and to listen to him teach. They were drawing near to him. And he was gaining a following of very non-religious people. That's the crowd that started to follow Jesus. And the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, they were talking trash. They were throwing shade at Jesus because they thought that they were better than those types of people. They were better than those tax collectors. They were better than those sinners. And they really didn't like that a man who claimed to be a religious leader was drawing that crowd. In fact, they would never even hang around those kinds of people because being around those kinds of people would threaten their holy image and their righteousness before God. But what we see in this passage is that Jesus receives people that religious society rejects. Jesus receives people that religious society rejects. That's what we see in this passage. And isn't it true that even today, I believe that we get this sense that if Jesus were here, right here, right now, if he was walking and talking, let's drop Jesus into 2020, the same would be true. We would see Jesus receiving people that some churches would reject. We would see Jesus receiving people that some religious elite would ostracize and outcast. And that's the reality of what was happening in verses one and two. Look again. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now tax collectors, they were hated because they were Jews who worked for the Roman government that was corrupt. And they were collecting money from the Jews. They were essentially stealing from their own kind. And they betrayed their people by working for the Roman government. And then even worse, they were so greedy that they would charge more than what was required for the taxes and they would pocket the extra. They would embezzle all the time. They made themselves rich by hurting their own people. And Jesus received the hated, backstabbing, corrupt tax collectors. Jesus received them. And the term sinners here simply referred to people who didn't follow 
the religious law, people that were known for being a little wild, people who got drunk, people who broke rules, immoral people. And Jesus received the rule-breaking, immoral people. The NLT translation says that they are notorious sinners. It calls them notorious sinners. And Jesus received notorious sinners. And I think that, you know, it's not in the text, we can't see this, but I believe that there's a reason why some of these notorious sinners were drawing near to Jesus. Because he had what they're looking for. If you're a notorious sinner, you've been living this life and you see how it leaves you empty. You've been chasing what the world offers and you found out what's on the other side and you realize that there's something more. You're searching and Jesus has what they're looking for. He has forgiveness. He has hope. He has the promise of purpose. He has belonging. And I believe that's why we see in Luke 7 that he's called a friend of sinners. In Luke 7, 34, it says, the son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think Jesus was glad to be a friend of sinners because of what he was offering them. He was glad to be a friend of sinners because what it meant for him to befriend them was transformation. What it meant for him to befriend them was salvation. And of course, the religious elite of that time, the Pharisees, man, they hated this. They absolutely hated the idea that he was a friend of sinners. And here's why. I think, I think it's so important for us to understand the Pharisees. So often they're painted as the bad guys without a whole lot of understanding. And I think it's important that we understand them a little bit. And so for a Pharisee, righteousness came from their ritual purity. Their, their ability to adhere to moral law, their moral checklist. Okay, don't drink, don't have sex, don't smoke, don't dance. Oh, wait, no, that's Baptist, sorry. Uh, but they had a rule list. They had a moral rule list that they were supposed to follow that gained them righteousness. And not only that, they had this idea that separation from sinners was part of that, righteous, that, that key to righteousness. They hated what what Paul ended up saying in Romans 3.21 when he said, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They hated the idea that, wait a second, I, I I can't earn my righteousness. I can't prove it by how good I live. I don't get to be righteous by checking the boxes, adhering to the law, winning arguments, Proving that I'm right. I can't earn my righteousness that way. They hated that fact. Because they had all the rules. In fact, they wrote the book. Not all of it. But they wrote an additional rule list that they held people to. A standard that was above everyone else. And the Pharisees, they, they tried to put people into two categories. And we all know how annoying that is, Right? We all know how annoying it is to be put in a box and say, well, there's two types of people in this world, the type of people who believe there's two types of people and the ones who understand the reality that we're all different. It, it, they put people in, in categories and they said they're either unclean and sinners or they're righteous. And if anybody was unclean or a sinner, man, they did not want to be around them. 
They did everything they could to avoid them, to avoid contamination. You want to talk about social distancing? I believe that if the Pharisees could, they would have looked like this to avoid sinners. They would have been dressed in all kinds of weird, crazy hazmat suits to avoid contamination from sin from sinners. And they gave off this attitude that these notorious sinners were not wanted, they're not allowed, and they've got no chance for redemption. Now, of course, we gotta give the Pharisees some credit. They, they did adhere to the Old Testament law. They believed that the Old Testament was the inspired word of God. So they got that part right. But their problem was this, is that they held a lot of value in the Old Testament law and just as much value in their own extra rules and religious traditions. That's where they went wrong. See, what happened was they got so wrapped up in the rules that they missed God's heart for people. They valued the word of God. They trusted it as the truth from God, but they gave equal value to their own religious traditions and rules. Who does that sound like? I think sometimes it sounds like some churches. might even sound like us if we look deep enough. But I pray it's not the same for us long term or that it's not the same for us as a church. Because if we're honest, it's all too easy to end up looking like the Pharisees. It's easier than we would like to admit to get caught in the Christian bubble to separate ourselves so much from the world from the sinners of the world. We can easily get so focused on the rules and traditions that were made by men and we can lose sight of the people Jesus wants to save. So I want you to consider today, does your life look so loving that you welcome the wrong crowd? What rules or traditions that aren't necessarily biblical, do you overemphasize? And how does that prevent you from reaching the lost? If you were to take a good hard look in the mirror, do you look more like a Pharisee or like Jesus? Do you run to sinners or do you run away from them? Some things I think we all should examine in our hearts. Because the mission of Jesus is pretty clear. He says it real crystal clear in Luke 19.10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Man, that's a whole message right there. And I haven't even touched the parable. We've got to get moving. This is what the tension that we see at the begin this is the tension at the beginning of this parable this is why Jesus teaches this parable is cuz this tension exists in religious society it exists in our church it exists in our world we need to address this tension and so with that tension we enter into the parable let's look again at verses 3 and 4 this is what he tells this is the story he tells the Pharisees. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? We see in the beginning of this parable that Jesus claims and chases down the lost. Jesus claims and chases down the lost. That's what he does. 
Jesus tells this story to the, parable, uh, to the Pharisees, this parable to the Pharisees. And when he does, he claims the people in need of saving. Where might you ask? Right here when he says, having a hundred sheep. What man of you having a hundred sheep? Jesus claims us in that moment. Because he has us. We are his. Jesus claims us. And I know, I know, that means we're all sheep. And I probably offended some of you because you're like, wait, wait a second. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are real dumb, Josh. I know that. You ever see one of them things? And you know what? They're also defenseless. They're helpless on their own. They're weak. And they, you know, run away. They don't listen. You saying that about me? Maybe. I mean, honestly, I feel like that's hard to hear, but the reality is, is that's what we are to God. Every single one of us from time to time, that's how we can act. We can all be pretty dumb from time to time. We can all be pretty foolish and go our own way. And yes, even if you hit the gym seven days a week, you are weak and defenseless on your own to save yourself. We are all sheep. And Jesus claims us. This is what he says in Isaiah 53 verse 6. All, yes you, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. He's laid on him the sin of us all. So yes, we've all strayed. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. We all, like sheep, have gone astray and even continue struggling with straying from time to time. That's why we need a shepherd. And maybe you're straying right now. Listen, I I don't know what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your life, but I do know this. Jesus claims you even when you're astray. He's claiming you. And if you're watching today online, I want you to know that truth. Maybe you needed to hear that. Maybe you needed to hear that Jesus is offering you a place of belonging. You have a home with him. Maybe you felt like you don't know where you belong, where you fit in, where you have purpose, why why does life have meaning? Jesus claims you. And he wants to give you that purpose. He wants to help you to understand your place in this life because he designed you for it. Nobody knows better what you need in this life, where you belong, where you fit, how you're supposed to be used, how you're supposed to flourish than the creator of your life and the redeemer of your soul. Maybe you needed to hear that today and that's what God was telling you through this message but he's offering you a relationship, one of unconditional love, one that meets you in your sin, that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you, Romans 5, 8, and that he chose you first, as it says in John 15. Before you could even think to choose God, he chose you. And he's giving you belonging, he claims you. But we all stray and Because we're straying, that means we had to belong somewhere in the first place. Jesus has claimed us. In order for us to be astray, Jesus had to already have claimed us. 
But not only does he claim us, he chases us down. Look at, again at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that has lost until he finds it? Listen, let me set the record straight. Some of, some of people can get caught up in this part of the passage, this part of the parable. They're like, what about the 99? Is Jesus being reckless? What's going on there? Does he not care about the church? Is it only about the lost? Blah, blah, blah. You're missing the point. It's not about whether or not God's love is reckless. It's about how relentlessly he pursues the people that are lost. It's about how passionate he is for the people that he has claimed and have gone astray. It's about how much he loves you and how far he's willing to go to find you. And it's endless. There's no end to how far God will chase you down. That's what this parable is about. Don't get caught in the weeds. God will chase you down no matter how far you stray. Sometimes I think we picture Jesus sitting on his throne in heaven and he's taking applications. Uh, no, not enough qualifications. Not too many qualifications. We've got to wait for the interview process to see if he'll let us in. That's not the case. Jesus is out in the street and he's handing out life. He's handing out purpose. He's picking people up because that's who he is. He's relentless. He finds you and brings you home. And he won't stop searching until he does. Ezekiel 34 puts it this way. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care where you ended up. He said all the places. He's coming. And he'll find you. And he will rescue you. You need to have faith in the promise of who God is and how much he loves you. You need to have faith in what the Bible teaches about how he pursues his own. And maybe you've been, you believe in Jesus, but you've been worshiping the world or you've been hiding from God and the rules that come with him. Listen, again, I don't, I don't know where you are today, but I want you to know that Jesus hasn't given up on you. He hasn't, and he never will. And you don't have to take my word for it, take his. He won't give up on you. You can take heart in that because Jesus claims and chases down the lost. That's what he does. But not only that, Jesus carries our sin and celebrates our salvation. Jesus carries our sin and celebrates our salvation. Look at verses five through seven one more time. And when he has found it, the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
When Jesus finds us in our sin after searching for who knows how long, 10 years, 15 years, 35 years, 58 years, however long it take for, took for you to finally submit to Jesus and put your faith in him, forever how long, you would assume, I mean, it would be fair to, to think that maybe he's a little frustrated. He's been chasing you down, watching you screw up, spit in his face, turn the wrong way, make another mistake, dishonor him, hurt some of his, his own you know, children along the way. He's been just watching all of this take place and he's chasing you down a year after year after year after year. You think he might be a little bit frustrated. You know, it's kind of like when your kid's acting like a brat and then they start running away. They make you chase them and every second you're running, you're getting more angry at that child. Every second that they're out of your grasp, the punishment gets worse. And by the time you get them, oh, it's smackdown time. You get that, that kid and the first thing they get is punishment. Then they get a lecture. And then they get grounded. And it's like this, that's what you do. You get maybe a, a tenth relief and 90% anger is what you meet that runaway disobedient child. But that's not, that's not what Jesus does. That's not what our God does. Jesus chases us down and when he finds us, he meets us with forgiveness. Look again at verse five. And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. This is both a physical image of how a shepherd would carry a lost sheep home, and it's a beautiful picture of Jesus placing the weight of your sin, my sin, and the sin of the world on his shoulders. Our sin, our past, our pain, and he carries it. I love this. He, he doesn't just put it on there for a second. No, he carries it. Listen, you don't have to carry your sin not for a moment. If you see it, you feel it, you give it to God and he will carry it and you never have to pick it up again. He's in it for the long haul. He has got your luggage, your baggage, your past, and he's carrying it all through the airport. He's carrying it all the way to the final destination. You don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to walk another day in this life carrying that sin. Because he's going to put it on his shoulders. And he's got you. 1 John 2, 2 puts it this way. He is the propitiation for our sins, not, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Propitiation is a big word to explain the justice system of God. See, God is just. God doesn't forget sin. No, 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 no. God is just. He hates sin. Sin needs to be punished. He just didn't punish you. He punished his son. How much love it must have taken to do that for you. Yeah, sin was punished. It wasn't forgotten. But Jesus took the punishment. He paid for your sins. And not only your sins, the sins of the world. There's no sin he can't bear. Don't let the devil lie to you telling you that the sin that you're carrying is too big. Our God's bigger. 
You think he can't carry it? His shoulders are huge. He will carry it. And he does it because he's the good shepherd. John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus meets you with forgiveness, with grace, with mercy, and with love. You are found and forgiven in Jesus Christ. He finds you, he forgives you. He's not hunting you down to try to punish you. Even if you've been running away, he's chasing you down so he can save you and so he can redeem you. You want to know a more eloquent way of saying how God meets you? Read it for yourself from his word. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And when he finds you, he rejoices. It's not frustration, it's not disappointment, it's love. It's crazy love, but it's love. He carries our sin and celebrates our salvation. He meets us with that mercy that we need. And when we put our faith in him, he rejoices. But let me be clear today. I don't want you to miss this because I think sometimes the message of Jesus is so beautiful. But there's an important element of our response that we can't forget, we can't miss. Because listen, there's no rejoicing without repentance. There's no rejoicing without repentance. We, we need to know that, we need to understand that. Jesus, you've probably heard this before, I'm stealing it. Jesus loves you enough to meet you where you are, mess and all, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He says, listen, I know you're struggling right now. I'm here, I'm with you, I meet you but I'm gonna pick you up and we're gonna walk away from this mess because you were made for more than this. So you need to choose to say, all right, that old, that old life, I'm done. I don't want that anymore. I, I, I'm not gonna worship the world anymore. I'm not gonna worship myself anymore. I'm gonna worship you, God, because you're worthy of it because of what you've done for me. You gotta make that conscious choice to turn away from the things that, that you've been doing, the things that you've been worshiping, the, the things that you've been saying yes to, and now turning to Jesus and following him and him alone. and You put your faith in him as Lord and Savior. And it's the best decision you could ever make. And then all of heaven parties like crazy. Look again at verses six and seven. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is playing a little bit with the Pharisees here because there's no such thing as somebody who needs no repentance. We all need it. The Pharisees thought they didn't need it. And he says, listen, there's no rejoicing over that because that's, that's not possible. Every one of us needs to repent and heaven celebrates. So whether you've been walking with God your whole life and 
you've been straying recently or maybe you've been walking with God and you've been sliding into living like a Pharisee or maybe you, you're hearing this gospel and the Holy Spirit's working in you for the first time right here, right now. And this is your moment to respond. This is your moment to respond to what God is doing in and through you. This is your moment. Respond. Take a moment to pray. Find a pastor after the service. Connect with us online via our website or our social media accounts. Don't let this moment pass you by and get caught back up in the mess. God is talking to you personally right here, right now, wanting you to respond. And for the church, for us as believers, how do we respond? Well, I I got three ways. I'm gonna fly through these. Number one, receive sinners. Jesus did, so should we. Jesus did, so should we. The word receive here, it's this idea of kind of lying in wait. It's this idea of watching for sinners. Jesus was looking out for sinners is another way to put it. And in his day, Essentially, no religious people were looking out for sinners. They just weren't. They weren't looking out for them. Too caught up in the religious rules, miss God's heart. Let's be different. Scott's Hill, let's be different. Let's be different. Because you can't reach the lost if you're running from them. You can't reach the lost if you're running from them. And we've all been given this mission and ministry by Jesus. If you're a believer, you're, you're being given what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. All this from God who through Christ reconciled, he brought us back to God, to himself, and gave us the ministry he gives, gives us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, again, to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. If you're a believer, God in entrusting you the message that needs to go to sinners. You know what that means? You gotta talk to sinners. You gotta hang out with sinners. You gotta be a friend of sinners. You do. Check your circle, and if there is nobody that you're ever talking to who needs the gospel, you're missing the call that God has given you in your life. Which brings me to point number two. We gotta represent Jesus. Two ways I think are best to represent Jesus with our lives, and one is to share God's heart for the lost. We gotta share God's heart for the lost. We need to look and remember what it was like to need God. Too often we forget what it looks like to need God. And in order to to check our hearts, we gotta search our hearts for self-righteousness because we can slide into living like a Pharisee. We can think that we've got it figured out. We know how to follow God and we did this, beating our chest like we did something, boasting in ourselves and God ain't having it. We boast in him and him alone. That's how you represent Jesus. You search, share God's heart for the world and search our hearts for self-righteousness. And then lastly, rejoice over salvation. This sounds simple, but I think it's harder than we would like to admit. 
One of the best ways, I think, to test your self-righteousness is asking the question, are you more excited or skeptical when a notorious sinner proclaims faith? I'll give you a perfect example that happened not too long ago. This guy, Kanye West. When he came out saying he was a born-again believer, what was your gut response? Nah. You listen to that guy's music? There ain't no way. Nah, it's a publicity stunt. He's just trying to gain market value. Listen, I'm not saying be a, a, a blind sheep just jumping on a bandwagon without understanding, but where's your heart? What was your gut reaction? Were you like, are you kidding me? Do you know how many people are going to know about Jesus now? If he puts out a, a, a gospel album, like millions of people who have never heard the gospel are going to hear the gospel. Are you kidding me? Let's go, Kanye. If you weren't even close to that, then you're missing the heart of God for the lost. And again, I'm not saying just jump on a bandwagon, but if there's no joy and rejoicing over this idea that a notorious sinner could be saved and transformed and redeemed and be used by God, what do you think happened to you? That's what happened to me. God met me in my jail cell. And to think that he has so much love for us that he not only redeems us, but then he wants to use us, that we're part of his plan. Come on, that's worth rejoicing. Let me tell you, if God parties when sinners get saved, so should we. Hopefully, Today, heaven's partying, and we can celebrate along with him as people are found and forgiven in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. I pray that it rings true for the people that you designed, that you chose, that you claimed, that you chased down to hear it and to respond to it. I pray that you would do the work that only you can do to save us, and that we would respond with repentance. God, and that most importantly, oh, you get the glory because you're the only one worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.